0: This week, the Comics Guys explain Fawcett Comics, Part 3. Thanks so much, Ben. And yes, this time we will be going over the uh, rest of the Fawcett characters, the less well-known ones for sure, um, and talking about how the company uh, comes to its end. Um, So Darren, besides Captain Marvel, who else should we know about? So we kind of went through all of the Captain Marvel titles. We left one out. There would also be like a title called Marvel Family uh, that would run into the early 50s as well. But that didn't start until after the war. Um, So we're going to go all the way back now to right around the time that Wiz came out. When Wiz was first a hit, uh, they didn't immediately start you know duplicating captain marvel they tried you know many other characters along with the other characters who were features in wiz they created a couple other comics that were designed to run like wiz that would have their own lead characters that they hoped would become famous unfortunately unlike national uh, which you know Got Batman, you know, mostly second try out of the box, and all the other, uh, you know, titles that uh, would turn into DC, basically. There were never really any other big hits for Fawcett. Captain Marvel was so far and away the most important, most successful, the character that everybody knew Fawcett for. And by the end, he was carrying, he and his family were carrying five or six titles themselves, right? Um, And none of the other characters ever really kind of caught on. In March of 1940, just after Wiz has gone out the door, it's you know it's it's been out for a couple of months at this point. They were like, okay, here's our follow-up titles. They released two new comics. One taking advantage of the idea of uh, of Wiz and and trying to name it the same way. They named their second comic was called Slam Bang Comics. And Slam Bang Comics uh, was built pretty much entirely out of stuff they had bought from packagers. Nobody in-house was working on it because they had, you know, Bill Parker was too busy. And uh, nobody else working at Fawcett Publications knew anything about making superhero stuff. So they basically just hired a bunch of freelancers uh, to create characters for them. Um, One of them, uh, the lead character in Slam Bang to start out with, is a guy named Mark Swift. And Mark Swift is a time traveler. Again, these aren't superheroes. Uh, the way that we traditionally know them, because we were so early in the superhero process that superheroes at this point are Superman and people ripping off Superman, right? So they didn't have any others of the ripping off Superman type for a bit, but they did to have other kind of like action pulpy characters. So the lead was Mark Swift. Uh, there was also a, a character called Jungle King. And there was a third guy who was Zorro the Mystery Man, who very conveniently misspelled the word Zorro. So it was not the same as the uh, one that would have gotten them sued. It just only has one R in it for Zorro. None of these are good. None of these are particularly interesting. None of them lasted very long. And Slam Bang Comics itself only lasted for seven monthly issues. It started in March, and it ended in September. The characters that were in Slam Bang when Slam Bang was canceled uh, got moved over. To kind of like fill out Master Comics when Master Comics would start up, but that wasn't for a little bit yet. Uh, but they still, you know, owned the rights to these guys, so they became kind of like filler characters. Uh, Master Comics uh, also came out uh, at that point in March, actually March April of 1940, and that one featured another new superhero who was called Masterman, and Masterman uh, is an awful lot like. Superman as well. Um, he's you know got a slightly different set of powers, and he's got a black costume, and he's uh, you know He's he's also just not terribly interesting. They don't have you know Bill Parker or CC Beck's art or anything to kind of recommend them. Um, and so Masterman leads the feature for the first six issues of Master Comics. He is backed up by uh, let's see here. He's backed up by a, a magician who is called El Karim. And if you are, you know, clever enough to spell that backwards, you realize that spells miracle backwards. Uh, and he has, he's, uh, you know, wears a, a top hat and a tuxedo. He's almost exactly like Zatara, basically. And he, you know, solves crimes by using magic. Um, you've got a character called the White Raja. You've got a character called Shipwreck Roberts. Uh, another character who's called Frontier Marshal. They're all dull. They're all exactly like everything else that's on the stands. And Master Comics does not. Uh, actually uh, do anything. Um, and so after issue number six, they decide to do an entire new look for the series. And they basically cancel all of the Master Comics' uh, existing characters uh, and uh, start up with a new one. But in the meantime, during the time that those that they give to Slam Bang and Master to give them the chance, they start another new uh, series. Um, and this one is called Nickel Comics. Nickel Comics is more of an experiment uh, to see if this sort of thing can can be done. Nickel Comics basically is going to come out biweekly. It's going to be half the size of an ordinary comic, and it's only going to cost five cents, as when everything else is costing ten. And so they see if you know, like, we can put out a smaller, more frequent comic is actually going to you know, like, catch on. Um, that goes for eight issues. It, the, the The experiment lasts for four months. From May to August of 1940. And it turns out the answer is no. Uh, <laughs> as it turns out, nobody wants to buy the half price comic. Nobody wants to buy the half sized comic. It keeps getting lost on the stands um, because, uh, you know, like the bigger, thicker comics around it, uh, you know, people are just like piling onto them. They're much more interested. It doesn't seem like that good a deal, basically. Um, however, Nickel Comics introduces uh, a character who is going to be basically the other guy besides Spy Smasher who is uh, a rival at all to Captain Marvel in popularity, and that's Bullet Man. And Bullet Man is also created by Bill Parker. By the time we actually get to May of 1940, he's got a little time in his schedule to make up one more new superhero. Um, John Smalley is the, uh, is, is the artist that he works with for it. And uh, Jim Barr is kind of like Captain America. Right. He's a he's a he's a patriot. He wants to be a hero, but he's sickly and he's skinny and he's, uh, you know, nobody wants to hire him to be. He can't get into the army. He's 4F. Uh, You know, he wants to to help. Um, Unlike Steve Rogers, he's also uh, a genius chemist. So instead of going to somebody else to get, uh, you know, like the super soldier treatment, basically, he invents it himself. And, uh, you know, goes, uh, gives himself this, uh, you know, injection of strange chemicals and vitamins that gives him like this superhuman physique and intelligence. Since he was already pretty smart to start out with, now he becomes super smart. He then uses that superhuman intelligence to invent a device that he calls his gravity regulator helmet. And a gravity regulator helmet, when he puts it on, uh, lets him fly and also gives him like a force field that will like deflect bullets and stuff um and since the helmet is kind of shaped uh you know like the tip of a bullet basically it kind of like comes to a point at the top it's rather one of the more unfortunate i think character designs that uh you know anybody ever came up with uh but since he looks like a bullet you know like when he's wearing the helmet basically he takes on the name bullet man and uh he becomes a you know special operative of the police force and flies around uh you know saving people and uh, battling supervillains, he is, um, it's not bad, right? It's Bill Parker. Bill Parker, you know, even at his worst, uh, is still, creates interesting stuff. And Bullet Man, you know, gets off to a solid start in those first eight issues of Nickel of Nickel Comics. Um, but uh, when Nickel Comics gets canceled, Bullet Man then uh, moves over and becomes uh, the lead uh, character over at Master right when they kill, they throw out master man and uh, all of those uh, weird supporting characters and bring over bulletman from nickel and all of the characters that were worth anything basically from uh, slam bang and those become the 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 titles over those become the main characters over in master comics and uh, master comics that runs uh, until about uh, issue that that goes from uh, issue what 7 to 21 of Mar- of Master Comics features that lineup. Uh, in that lineup, they also introduce another patriotic flag suit superhero called Minuteman. Doesn't have any powers. He just uh, you know dresses up in a tricorner hat and a flag suit basically and punches out people who are not sufficiently patriotic. Um, and Bulletman's fiance uh, also gets her own helmet and uh, powers and everything and becomes his sidekick as Bullet Girl in issue number thirteen in master comics number 21 and 22 captain marvel jr comes over and teams up with bullet man and bullet girl for a full two-part adventure right that's the it's a double-sized story it's the first you know half of the comic basically is the two of them they team up they fight some villains together everything's great and um captain marvel uh, just stays in that title going forward. Bullet Man is is kind of like knocked down to being the number two feature in Master Comics behind Captain Marvel Jr. for a while. Um, Bullet Man and Bullet Girl will eventually get a spinoff of their own title. They're one of the few uh, characters who gets their own shot uh, as a as a as a solo title. Um, separately running alongside Master Comics, especially as Captain Marvel Jr. was becoming more and more popular and uh, you know, kind of like forcing uh, Bullet Man off to the side. I will point out that in the Bullet Man solo run, which only runs for 12 issues, issue number 10 introduces my single favorite, mo- uh, my my personal favorite of all of the Fawcett characters, who is Bullet Dog. <laughs> uh, Bullet Man and Bullet Girl decide that they need help from their dog Uh, to solve a crime and in order to do this they invent a gravity collar so that uh, their their dog can fly around and here is the absolute best part of all of this the dog's real name his secret identity name is slug which is already like the funnier than anything that was in the series to start out with and so for the last three issues of Bullet Man, before Bullet Man finally gets canceled, Bullet Man and Bullet Girl are accompanied by a German shepherd who, with a flying collar, basically, whose real name is Slug, but they refer to him as Bullet Dog so that nobody gives it away. Mm-hmm. And Bullet Dog is the best. Anyway, Captain Marvel Jr. completely takes over Master Comics. Uh, it becomes, you know, his... his his feature, basically, um, there are always you know uh, uh, backup features that run in it. Minuteman stays in it as a backup. Uh, we introduce uh, Balbo, the boy magician, who is awful lot like El Kareem, except he's only twelve. Um, we get a pilot called Phantom Eagle. There is in issue number forty-seven uh, a failed attempt. By Fawcett, in the face of uh, the Justice Society and the uh, All Winners Squadron, an effort to make a superhero team. Uh, since we've established that Captain Marvel Jr. and Bullet Man and Bullet Girl are also friends, are all already friends. They decide that they should uh, the the series decides they should team up with Minuteman and form a team out of the heroes who are in this comic, basically. And so, in issue number 47, there is a single story in which they team up as a as a superhero team called the Crime Crusaders. Doesn't, didn't really make any uh, you know, impact on the stands. Uh, none of the writers were terribly interested. And so uh, we never saw that team again, basically. Uh, you know, the Fawcett never successfully had a, a, a team of these characters. Um, starting with issue number 50, a new character was introduced as the backup, uh, kind of a third feature alongside Captain Marvel Jr. and, and Bullet Man, who is called Nyoka the Jungle Girl. And she was a very kind of like bog standard, uh, you know, Jane of the Jungle type, uh, you know, adventurous character, basically. A little better done than most. uh, Certainly, you know, uh, had had some excellent art. Arthur Petty did some art for it. And uh, he was known for drawing excellent, attractive women. Uh, And so even if the stories were kind of dull, you always had, you know, like pretty girls in skimpy Outfits to uh, to to look at, um, but it's not really like a, a feature that anybody remembers terribly well. The other group comic that uh, Fawcett would try—they would try one more time at an anthology title at the end of 1940, going into 1941, um, and that was called Wow Comics. And Wow would, in fact, last uh, until the uh, fall of 1948. And it would mainly because of, like, one other useful character. So the the first issue introduces us to a new uh, costumed vigilante who is called Mr. Scarlet. And Mr. Scarlet is a, you know, he, he's, he's a former uh, uh, district attorney who is frustrated with uh, the number of criminals that are getting away. And so he puts on a costume to go beat them up after work, after, you know, like, failing to put them away for their crimes. Uh, during his day job, basically, um, this was bought from a packager, and it was actually one of the last packaged uh, strips that um, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby worked on uh, before they got their you know kind of like full time gigs uh, doing Captain America. So the first uh, two Mister Scarlet stories are in fact Simon and Kirby. Um, it's very early Kirby, right? It does not. Uh, it, it it's not his best work. Um, It's definitely nowhere near as good as even the earliest Captain America's, but you can still see right like it's Kirby, right? Even even half-hearted, not really paying attention. Kirby is still some amazing stuff to look at. Uh, The rest of that series featured uh, a kid named Adam Blake, uh, who was uh, a boy wizard. Uh, whose uh, you know parents had uh, uh, raised him, uh, exposing him to strange energies that gave him uh, crazy superpowers. He could divide himself into two people, and uh, you know was super intelligent and could fly through space. And he very quickly uh, left the earth and uh, you know pissed off into outer space basically and had adventures on other planets. He wasn't really a superhero so much as he was more of a you know Flash Gordon type character. Uh, and then they also had uh, Jim Dolan, FBI. Uh, And a character called uh, The Hunchback, uh, who was wealthy playboy Alan Lanier, who basically thought somehow it was a good idea to dress up like Quasimodo to fight crime. Um, One would think that wearing a fake hump on your back would actually, you know make it difficult to fight crime. But this was not a thing that was considered. Uh, the Hunchback did not last very long as a series, as a, as a character. And that's pretty much all he had going for him, was that he had a ridiculous costume with a hunch on the back. Uh, he was replaced fairly quickly by a hero called Commando Yank, who was uh, radio announcer Chase, Chase Yale. Uh, who was yet another, you know, guy with no powers who just put on a costume that looked like the flag? Basically, the what made him kind of interesting is uh, most of his stories took place in England, right? Like he was an American superhero, an American costumed hero, but he was operating uh, in Britain and directly fighting like Nazis and spies and fifth columnists over there. So that at least gave him something to kind of differentiate himself from the other characters was that he was, you know, operating in a foreign country. Um, in the meantime, uh, Mr. Scarlet, uh, who was becoming more and more, uh, you know, kind of Batman-y in his story, got a teen sidekick called Pinky. So the adventures were Mr. Scarlet and Pinky. Uh, and somehow Mr. Scarlet actually sold plausibly well. Once again, you know, uh, after Bulletman and probably Spice Masher, the next most successful character that they had uh, was Mr. Scarlet with his sidekick, Pinky, because um, that lasted for six or seven years. So beginning with uh, issue number nine, they started crossing over with the Marvel family just to improve sales of the title. And so in issue number nine, the entire Marvel family shows up to team up with Mr. Scarlet. And starting in that story, Mary Marvel started picking up a uh, a recurring regular solo adventure in the pages of WoW. And being far and away the most popular character who appeared in that comic, she became the lead in that very quickly. Uh, It's in the WoW solo stories that we meet the last of the Marvel family characters, uh, who is uh, Uncle Dudley Marvel. And Uncle Dudley Marvel is, in fact, Mary Marvel's uh, old uncle, Uncle Dudley, um, who claims to have superpowers and dresses himself up on a regular basis in a costume that looks sort of like Captain Marvel's. Somehow, it's never quite explained uh, what sort of superpowers he actually has, because he's kind of like a shyster and a con man, and uh, is mostly making this stuff up as he goes along. And whenever it's a time for him to actually use uh, one of his superpowers, of course, that's a time that's really inconvenient for him. Uh, and he's just not, you know, he's not feeling it that day. Oh, he's got uh, some sciatica or something and he can't do it. Oh, his back is hurting or something. So he can't actually pick up that drug, etc. He's basically a, you know, comedy character as like a fraud and a con man who for some reason Mary Marvel tolerates and puts up with and saves on a regular basis. Um, the quote unquote comedy in the series is uh, usually lost on me. Um, But apparently, uh, you know, he remained popular enough and his story sold well enough that he became a recurring character, uh, mostly in Mary, but also occasionally in the other um, Captain Marvel series that were running. Um, The later Mr. Scarlet stories that were... uh, uh, Featuring it that were that were done at the same time when he was kind of like the number two to Mary Marvel in this, um, Otto Binder wrote a bunch of those as well. And that when he takes over the Mister Scarlet stories, the at least the mysteries uh, get better and uh, you know are more interesting and make more sense. They tried another experiment uh, in forty two and forty three. They created a series called Mighty Midget Comics. And Mighty Midget was another kind of like format change to see if they could, you know, like figure out a different way uh, to make comic books more physically profitable. And so these were comic books that were sold two for a nickel and they were only four by five, right? When instead of an eight by 10 uh, comic book, the, the pages on them were literally a quarter of the size of an ordinary full size comic book, right? And so they tried this, you know, model of collecting. You know, they would they would basically do it with reprints mostly, um, of stories that had been printed in full size comics earlier, um, and you know would kind of like bind a collection of those reprints together in this four by five format and sell them two for a nickel on the newsstand. Again, that didn't work very well. Uh, the sales were not terribly good, but the comics today are extremely collectible, those four by five ones, one because most of them didn't survive as easily. They were physically like harder to keep in nice condition. Um, in fact, several of the later ones were literally sold by being glued to the back of a bigger comic. Um, and so you know you can't separate them from another comic without damaging both of them. Um, but some of the Mighty Midget comics would collect a single character, Appearances in a range of different comics, right? So, like a Mister Scarlet Mighty uh, uh, Mighty Midget comic would have Mister Scarlet stories from a bunch of different comic books, and so several of the Mighty Midget uh, line comics are the only solo appearances by those characters, right? Commando Yank got his own Mighty Midget comic showing Commando Yank backup strips from a bunch of different stories. So, there's only ever one Commando Yank. Comic book all by himself, and it's a mighty midget, Mister um, Scarlet. In fact, never had a solo comic. The only solo Mister Scarlet comics, um, including the ones that have Kirby art in them, are are mighty midgets, um, and so they're even harder to get a hold of than uh, you know than other Kirby comics from the period, and they're super expensive. You can get a hang on one. The other major costumed character. That Fawcett had during this time period, who you could mostly call a superhero, uh, was in fact a licensed character. They were the publisher of Captain Midnight comics. Now, Captain Midnight, of course, uh, was not a comic book superhero to start at all. He was a radio show character like the Green Hornet or Lone Ranger. Um, he had a syndicated radio show uh, that started in 1938 that was uh, originally sponsored by Skelly Oil uh, and then later brought to you by Oval Team. And that ran from 1938 to 1949, and was a fabulously popular, um, you know, ad- adventure serial, basically on the radio. Um, and the fans, the uh, uh, Captain Midnight is a pilot. He doesn't have any superpowers, but he does, in fact, have a costume and he has a, you know, special plane that like lets him, you know, travel around and uh, fight spies and that sort of thing. Um, and all of the kids and people who assisted him in the uh, radio show, and his uh, legions of fans, uh, just uh, you know, out there in Radio Land, basically, were called the Secret Squad, the Secret Squadron. And the Secret Squadron, say that five times fast. Uh, would have um, were issued as part of their membership. They sent money in to the radio station, and were issued a special badge uh, called the Codograph and the Codograph would allow you to decipher the messages about the next episode that would be on the end, at, at the end of every episode right it's people continue my entire life have like described this as a decoder ring it's not a ring that get that right it's not correct for it it's not a ring it's a badge you don't wear it on your finger you wear it on your on your shirt right um but every episode of captain midnight would have a secret message at the end of it um contrary to you know everybody's favorite christmas story uh the message was not uh drink your ovaltine um though there was always an ad for ovaltine in it but the secret message was generally information about the next episode that was coming so if you did in fact go through the process of, discover- of discovering it then you would know who next week's bad guy was going to be uh in advance and that made you super cool at school so uh you know um hmm. That's That's the character, anyway. But I I, want to clear this up for it. There were, in fact, rings. Other people had rings. Johnny Quest had a ring, for example. But Captain Midnight did not have a decoder ring. He had a decoder badge, and you wear it on your shirt, not on your finger. Um, Anyway, Captain Midnight was fabulously popular. He had a serial in 1942. He had a TV show in the 50s from 54 to 56. Um, The original comic book license, he got a comic book. The first one was done by Dell. um, But that only lasted six or eight issues, Dell decided they were not making enough money off of it to be worth it with the extra money that they had to pay for the licensing deal. Um, and so they dropped their license for Captain Midnight in 1942. Fawcett picked it up and gave the series to Autobinder as the other thing he was writing when he wasn't writing Captain Marvel Adventures. Um, and so he wrote uh, 67 issues worth of Captain Midnight Adventures uh, from 42 to 1948 when it was finally canceled. Uh, Captain Midnight never crossed over with any of the other Fawcett characters. They weren't allowed to do that, I don't think. Um, he was a you know completely separate licensed character. But most of the you know kind of like lists of Fawcett heroes basically include him as though he were basically the same as the other characters that they were publishing, right? Fawcett never owned Captain Midnight. It was a complete license deal um and uh the rights to that character have never you know they don't they didn't go to dc when Fawcett uh sold its you know assets to dc or anything that's a, he's a completely separate uh a completely separate issue basically yeah it looks like dark horse has been uh, publishing them sometimes yep absolutely there were other licensed uh, things that Fawcett did, right? That, to to kind of like publish along with the superhero line stuff, they had several other licenses. Captain Midnight is the closest thing to a superhero that they had for their licenses. But they also had, for example, Don Winslow of the Navy, and Don Winslow of the Navy was a newspaper strip, a newspaper adventure strip, kind of like Steve Canyon or something like that, right? Um, about a naval officer who traveled around the world and had fabulous adventures. Um, And uh, that was a very popular newspaper strip that they got the right to publish new adventures of in comic book form. And so from 43 to 51, uh, there is a Don Winslow of the Navy comic, basically, that came out by Fawcett. That once again, it's pulp adventure. It's not superheroes, right? Um, Also because the family, the Fawcett family, particularly Roscoe, but uh, among the others there as well, they had grown up with their dad at Breezy Point hanging out with people like Tom Mix, right? Like they all they all knew Tom Mix because they'd gone hunting with him back when they were 12 years old, right? Um, so they were very kind of like tightly connected to the world of Westerns, to Western TV shows and Western movies, and you know, cowboy actors and singers and all of that stuff. They knew those guys culturally because they'd been it been their entire lives. Their dad had been friends with them. And so Roscoe signed a bunch of Western actors, real world Western actors who were making movies, who were making, you know, TV series or whatever for this to get their licensed comics. And of course, once one of them succeeded, uh, Hopalong Cassidy and Tom Mix were the first two that they did. And both of those were tremendous hits in the 40s and 50s. As superheroes were starting to die off, the Westerns were selling really well, had kind of like replaced superheroes uh, on the newsstands. And so Fawcett went wholeheartedly Into the Western line, right? Bill Boyd, Bob Steele, Gabby Hayes, Gene Autry, Lash LaRue, Monty Hale, Rocky Lane, Rod Cameron, Tex Ritter, all of these people had comics with Fawcett. And by the late 40s, the superhero line that wasn't the Marvel family, right? That wasn't either Cap uh, or Mary or Captain Marvel Jr had fallen away so badly in sales, like everybody else across the board had for it. Most of what their line, what their comic publishing line was, wasn't superheroes anymore. It was Captain Marvel stuff plus Westerns and licensed things the Captain Midnight and Don Winslow and, you know, whatever other stuff was going on. They did a bunch of um, specialty comics. They had a whole bunch of romance comics. Right, romantic secrets, romantic story, romantic westerns, sweetheart diary—you know—all of these uh, 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 romance titles aimed at girls uh, sold pretty well for them. They had an entire uh, attempted an entire line of celebrity comics aimed at black people in you know similar fashion to a couple of other publishers. You know, like the um, all Negro comics had you know existed a decade before, but starting in 1949, they put out. Uh, three years of comic books worth of uh, stories about Jackie Robinson. Uh, Joe Lewis got a two-issue solo series about his life and, and and times basically in 1950. And they even put out a comic literally called Negro Romance in 1950 that was a part of their romance line. They tried horror. It never worked for them. Nobody was really that interested in it. Um, the most famous of those is a comic called This Magazine is Haunted. Uh, which actually had some uh, high-quality uh, artists in it. Johnny Craig did some work in it, um, which is the main reason anybody remembers it. Uh, Johnny Craig was also famous for doing some of the, you know, the the, the worst of the EC stuff, right? The bloodiest and uh, and nastiest that kind of like got the comics code uh, inflicted on comic books in the first place. Um, there were a bunch of movie comics. Uh, they would do. Uh, there was a line called Fawcett Movie Comics. That would basically be an entire movie story within one comic, just a, a, you know, a a comic version of a given movie um, of movies that came out between, say, 1948 and 52. There's like 20 of them. Um, Most of them are Westerns, because once again, that was their, you know, that was their their bread and butter. Um, But they also did Destination Moon. Uh, Man from Planet X, Ivanhoe, you know, other movies that came out during that time, they would do, you know, the licensed spin-off comic. Um, so by the time we've reached this point, right, superheroes are now a fraction of what they're doing. Fawcett has gone into a bunch of other businesses besides, right? Like Roscoe has taken the line away from Pulps and away from uh, some from that kind of magazine. Obviously, you know, True Confessions and, uh, you know, Mechanics Illustrated and that sort of thing are still going, but they do, you know, kind of like much more uh, upscale suburban housewife type comics, right? They, they bought and started publishing Women's Day um, was part of the Fawcett line at this point. So Captain Marvel, the superhero line, had gone away, except for Captain Marvel. And Captain Marvel, remembered this lawsuit with DC is still going on, right? It starts in 1941. And they keep fighting with each other until 1953. Now, by the time we get to 52 and 53, even Captain Marvel is not selling that well, right, comparatively. It's the last thing that they've got remaining from their line. Fawcett still insists that they're right. Right? They've won a couple of these you know, lawsuits along the way. The battle is still ongoing. There are appeals all over the place. But Fawcett is just like, how much money have we spent over the last 12 years defending something that really isn't even making us that much money anymore? Right At this point, we've got to say, this is no longer worth it. Even if we think we're right, even if we think DC does not have a legal leg to stand on, this is just ridiculous. They're never going to quit. They're going to keep fighting this forever. And in the end, in 1953, Fawcett says, you know what? This is it. We're done. No more. We quit. You win. We're shutting down Captain Marvel. In fact, we're shutting down our entire comic book line because none of this is worth the amount of money that we're going through the effort on this war, And we are making so much more money doing books doing magazines. Um, in this time, they've taken over the, they, the in 1949, they took over newsstand distribution for the New American Library paperback line, right? Because as pulps are coming off the stands, as pulps are coming off the racks, paperbacks are going onto the racks to replace them. And uh, the New American Library line, that's Mentor, right? That's Signet. That's a bunch of like kind of like big publishers who are doing serious bestselling books most okay not so serious in many cases of them they're still pretty pulpy um but you know they're doing science fiction they're doing stuff with a you know that that that's more grown up than comic books and uh by 1950 Fawcett now starts adding to the lines that they're doing distribution for and they launch gold medal books which is the first major paperback book publisher that did original titles instead of just doing paperback reprints of hardcover titles the first book line, basically, that came out originally as paperback novels was gold Medal books. And that was tremendously successful. So they're making so much money on their legit magazines, and they're making so much money on their book publishing that they just shut down the comic book business entirely. The last few titles that they had uh, at that time were mostly uh, Westerns. And the one character that still existed after Captain Marvel was shut down was Nioka the Jungle Girl, who once again was kind of sort of a superhero in that she had appeared, you know, she she fought some criminals and she had some superpowers, I guess, sort of, but her superpowers were all like talking to animals and stuff. So she fit in better with Tarzan than she did with uh, you know, with Superman. Um, and then you've got like Lash LaRue's solo comic and Monty Hale's solo comic, et cetera, et cetera. And they sold them outright to Charlton. And we'll do an entire piece on Charlton, but you you know uh, uh, we, we, we talk about Charlton in the Steve Ditko episode, if you want to get some of the info on it. All of those licensed titles and everything uh, moved over to Charlton at the time. Mark Swayze, who was kind of the last of the original staff artists and the guy who'd been doing the last few uh, Captain Marvel stories, went with them and went on to do a bunch of titles uh, for Charlton, actually would be one of the artists who worked with Steve Ditko in the early days of Charlton. Meanwhile, Otto Binder, who was the last kind of like big name writer left, uh, you know, uh, with uh, uh, Parker having long since retired and CC Beck moved on to do other stuff, Binder went to DC where Mort Weisinger rehired him, remembering him from the days when they were both agents uh, for science fiction writers uh, back in the day, and uh, Binder became one of the main writers for Superman in the mid '50s, where he would create the Legion of Superheroes, Brainiac, Crypto, the Superdog, uh, Bizarro, and the Phantom Zone were all invented by Otto Binder in Superman stories that he wrote uh, after he left Captain Marvel and moved over to DC. And so Fawcett, at that point, you know, had gone out of that business. They briefly were in. Um, they they sold off several of their magazines uh, over the 60s as the uh, rest of the original Fawcett family uh, began to retire. They got kind of chopped up into uh, corporate parts in the 70s along with a bunch of other companies that did that. They were actually, they bought Popular Library from Perfect Film and Chemical, if you remember from the history of Marvel. Um, Mar- Martin Ackerman's company, who also owned Marvel, sold them uh, Popular Library before it had become Cadence Industries and they renamed popular library Fawcett Books, which they called for seven or eight years until Fawcett Books was then bought by uh, Random House through Ballantyne. So most of the titles that Fawcett, uh, the book uh, titles uh, for us are now actually owned by Random House and have been for 30 or 40 years. They're part of kind of like the Random House backlist. Uh, the last of, the Fawcett Books Company, uh, including their library products and everything, were bought out in 1987 in part by Warner Brothers and in part by Hachette. So Fawcett itself as a company no longer exists, but a bunch of big-name companies that exist today, each own little pieces of what it used to be. Uh, and that is the, the, the state of Fawcett as we have left it. So that is basically the story of Fawcett, the one company that for a while seemed like it was going to challenge DC in the golden age. Yeah, well, that was a super interesting run. Yeah, they had so you know they had some great stuff historically. They have you know creatively, they were some of the the, the best comics of the period. They totally deserved their place there, um, and it's unfortunate that um that uh, they had so few like great talents, right? Like the great talents did everything they could. Uh, you know, everything Otto Binder did was worth having. Everything CC Beck did, Bill Parker did was worth having. But none of the other stuff was enough to kind of like sustain a line, right? They put their best guys on their best series and never created a sustainable collection of stuff, right? Right. Yeah. They all seemed a lot more, uh, you know, uh, kind of crazy, but even a little bit calmer in the beginning than um, some of the uh, the other stories, too. Yeah. Well, there's no actual, you know, that's the, the, the mobster died, you know, two months in, right. Like the Roscoe right. and his family. Yes. They grew up with mobsters, but they weren't right. They were, they were business people and they ran faucet like a business. So yeah. captain Billy was a, you know, was, was half a mobster. Um, yeah. But, you know, he was gone by the time the comics start. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. I hope you learned something. Um, I've been Steve Tasker i been Darren Watts, and if you want to uh, discuss more of this or get more information on us, you can always join our uh, check us out on the Discord and uh, you know discuss the episodes further. Absolutely, have a good night. Thanks for coming.